it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This is a crowd podcast. If I wouldn't have done boxing, I would have definitely been in prison. How many times did One Punch make you put you over? You're the only British heavyweight, I think, to have fought Brad Pitt. The image he portrayed was he's crazy. Why are you training? I told you your career's over. We've got to ask you, you're Mike Tyson's bodyguard. Let's get on with it. I'm George. He's Deck. Hello. It's the George Groves Boxing Club. Good morning, Deck. Good morning, George. How are you? I'm very good. And Deck, I want people to know that if we do sound a little bit different this week, it's because we are recording right now in a top secret location. Yeah, we're on the mobile mics. We're on a road trip. We are. We yeah, love a road trip. We do love a road trip. This is one of the best, maybe the biggest and best so far. In a big, grand, echoing sort of, well, yeah. fabulous room. So don't be alarmed if it feels it sounds a bit different. Yeah. It's all good. It's for the benefit <laughs> of the club. I'm feeling not too bad. Do you want to know why I could have been better? Why could have you been better? Well, because the results are in, George. First of all, massive thank you to everyone who voted in the podcast awards. Yes, a huge thank you to everyone who voted for us in the podcast awards. But sadly, we came second. CBS messaged me this. Chris Billumsmith actually messaged me this saying, you don't get silver in boxing. You get knocked out. <laughs> and he's got a point. We don't celebrate mediocrity. No, or second or silvers. But all I'm saying, morning combat, is we're fucking coming. Yeah. Next year. We are. Biggest shout out of all of today though, George. Jonathan Woodward. Yes, Prince. Yeah, they're up. They're out. They're hitting people's uh, letterboxes this week. They you are. might have got signed. yours today. You very well may have, depending on- Where you live. Yeah, where you live. I think we've had a few people on the Orkney Islands try and buy one. So that'll probably drop about Thursday. We got some big fights coming up on the horizon. We might be there might be a few more that are getting shipped to Guadalajara soon. There Without might be a, a few being shipped to um Abu Dhabi. All the big fights are happening. I think they've been printed in Swindon actually. Um but yeah, big shout out to John from Wood. Also we've got a few more XL hoodies. Are you still in a paper shop? Yeah. <laughs> We've got some more XL hoodies. For those of you who've been in touch asking for them, they're back in stock. All the other sizes, water bottles galore. And George, you know what else we want? Questions, because we're going to be doing another Q&A with you. Okay, yeah, send us some questions. We need some questions. Some good questions. Anything that wasn't asked in the first one. Preferably about boxing, because they're, you know, not just general questions. I'd actually take umbrage with that. I I want some more general questions for you. Anything you want to know, I mean, Ross would probably be pretty uh pretty harsh on them and they'll get the chop anyway if they're yeah, no good but they, well, anything yeah. you want to ask get them in we've also had a lot of people in touch george about the joe joyce fight the joe joyce defeat about us not reviewing it yes i mean about you not reviewing it yeah because i was ready to go yeah you sat in you, the studio headphones on i was away i was on a family vacay i'm sadly sorry i missed it i still haven't even seen the fight i mean it was so easter wasn't it? It. it's good that people were going where the fuck's the hell about that this week yeah um because it was a bit of a mad fight Jojo has obviously lost his undefeated record, got stopped by Zhang Zhele or Zhele Zhang. But Rachel Aylett got in touch because we put a post on Instagram. I think it was Archie actually. So Archie, it's your fault saying, I'll be back. I'll be back. Because you know, the Terminator shtick. Great, yeah. great post, Archie. Rachel just said, no more rematches. Okay, I agree with her as you, well. You hate rematches, don't you? I do, yeah. But I agree. No more rematches. Marley Anderson said, 
Nah, found his level. Harsh. Anyone else get in touch? Dave Mitchell. Dangerous Dave. He got countered with a straight left again and again. Keep him away from Southpaws. Go for White, AJ or Dubois too. That's four good fights. Three I'll good fights. I'll tell you fights, wouldn't though. want that. Who's Rachel? That? Rachel Aylett. Yeah, no more rematches. No, like rematches. She would probably be happy with the Dylan White fight. I'd love that fight. And Joe Joyce, AJ. Oh. You would pick Joyce as a favourite against all them three. Well, some people would. Mm. But now after that weekend, I need to go back and watch the You do. And see uh, if my opinion has changed. You do. And he's rebuilding now. Why, George, are we talking about heavyweights? Well, we are st- talking about heavyweights, Dick, because we have none other than a legitimate heavyweight in the club today. He could have fitted into any one of our categories, really. Yeah. Of podcast. You could have stuck him on a Friday. <laughs> it's Scott Welch. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> a legend of British boxing. But I want to hear about what he used to do back in the day. A lot of going to America, Hollywood, actor as well. Let's get him on. Let's get Scott in. So today, Deck, we have our first Hollywood heavyweight in the club. Oh yeah, Hollywood heavyweight, yeah. Also known as the Brighton Rock. Does it get much better He's previously held the British Commonwealth and WBO Intercontinental titles. It is, of course, Scott Welch. You're in the club. Thanks for coming in today, pal. Thank you very much for being invited. Really good to see you. And you. Up on the train from Brighton. Drove. You drove it. <laughs> okay. So on Brighton still... What, wait, wait, what did you drive? You don't, did you drive a helicopter? Defender. Uh, it wasn't the helicopter. <laughs> you didn't come up via helicopter today. No, but you can no. fly a helicopter. Let's start here. You can fly a helicopter you just revealed here. Almost. Almost. <laughs> I'm almost there. I'm a couple of hours off. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh. And what's the plan for that? Like, is that for fun? Is uh, this a new business yeah, no, venture? No, 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 no. Mostly for fun, just to get around. There's no like but helicopter Uber service in Brighton. No, I've got, like I've got, I've got, I've got a uh, an airport at the end of my road, so one mile at the end of my road. Oh. The airport. So I did it 20 years ago. Well, that thanks for making the trip. You were 90s heavy, British heavyweight, but even before that, what was your introduction to boxing? So my father was a boxer. Boxing was always mentioned. He was a uh, Guy that started up the Kingfisher Boxing Club in Great Yarmouth. Couldn't tell anyone. I got slung out of there when I was 13 years old for running at somebody and dropping them and carried on hitting them when they were down. So he he got knocked out and then they slung me out of the club. Nobody knew who I was or that I was related to the guy. And he wasn't around. There was pictures of him on the wall, but he wasn't there. So Mm. I thought I was doing the right thing, just having a really tough spar. They thought otherwise. And the guy, still a trainer there now. I think he's about 86, 87 years old. Yeah, so. Is your face still up on the wall there? Warning, <laughs> he's, warning still bad. <laughs> he's still not allowed in. No, I go there now. I go there. We, we go there. My son's trained there. So yeah, we still go there. When I'm, I'm a Norfolk boy originally. So Great Yarmouth. Um, yeah, it's in Goldstone on Sea next to Great Yarmouth. So. Oh, brilliant. How quickly did you realise you were good? And you were looking around and going, okay, I can I can do this. I didn't really know, but I, I used to fight and I knew that I could fight. And I think if your mentality is to fight and not worry about going against different people, I think that always helps. And for me, I mean, I got slung out 13 years old. I did a bit of karate before that. I, I was sent down to Brighton uh, Community Service, 280 hours community service, and uh, never been there before. Didn't know anybody and thought I, I can go to the local boxing gym which was Hove 16 years old 37 years later I've ran it for the yeah, last the same, 22 years the same years. club and uh, yeah la- last 22 years I've ran and uh, you've really stretched out that community yeah, service you, mate <laughs> <laughs> you do like 15 minutes yeah, a week yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there just a weird story go on funny story, <laughs> that's actually. what podcasts so are for I came, I came, I I came remember, there yeah was so there, Scott was yeah. there I came down to Spa um, <laughs> I came down to Spa Eubank Junior yeah. um, and you Eubank, went there Eubank had always come to yeah, me yeah. but I, I think he must have needed the Spa so I was like well, we'll go down there it's bright no I'm mm. not for that it's not that far went down there went to have a look at the gym anyway Ronnie was there Ronnie, da- Ronnie Davis Ronnie Davis yeah. sorry yeah Ronnie Davis was there we come out after the Spa and there, there was like a it was a policeman there and they were looking out to see and then floating is a body yeah, I remember, yeah. There's a body in real I was like, yeah. oh no, someone's <laughs> died. Yeah. So you assume it might be someone who's had a few drinks the night before. It was early, it felt like early morning, and um he must have fell into the sea. The policeman's gone to sort of fish the body out and he's sprung to life. <laughs> he's not dead, <laughs> he's still going. And I don't know, he tried to fight the police officer. I don't know if he was yeah, a member of the gym. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. There's been a few bodies. There was actually one right outside the gym that, that got pulled in as well. Oh, no. Right outside the gym, yeah. So so your 
boxing at that point. So when did you turn professional? In 92 after winning the ABAs. Yeah, straight away, pretty, pretty quick. Uh, pretty much, yeah. yeah. I had, a, had a little look around and then signed with um, with Hearn. So Barry, Barry, Hearn. Barry yeah, then, yeah. Yeah, Barry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and how, what was the plan at that point? Because like I say, it was a different picture then. Yeah, I, I think War, War, at the time, I think that was when Warren had been shot. It was just Hearn who was the main guy. I think he had Eubank and everyone then course, at that yeah. stage. So that was the one to go with. And talk us through that those days as, a, as an early pro. Yeah, I'd say it was pretty good. I mean, I was really, really excited. It was um, some big shows. They, they hadn't done the big deal then. It was all Eurosport then, so it, all my fights were featured on Eurosport. So that was good coming through. Um, I remember being in Spain in about 93, 94, and my profile come up in a bar out there, so that was good. <laughs> Um, showing all the fights um, Nigel Ben I remember I was a massive fan of Nigel and uh, I think the first day I walked in the gym I think Freddie King the trainer said to me I was a pair of boots here you can have these and they were Nigel Ben's that he'd fought Sugar Boy Malingering and they still had blood on them and uh, it was only a few weeks before one of my pals was a massive Nigel fan as well. We trained together all the way through the amateurs, but he, he didn't really do anything. So I took him back to him and said, here's a pair of Nigel Ben's boots. He couldn't believe it. So he loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe paint a picture for us what the British scene was like. Was you planning to become a world champion or was that a realistic I thing never, I, you know, I, I'm a Norfolk boy from Great Yarmouth. The town is a very quiet, tough town, you know. My aspirations were to be successful, but I never could dream of the life I've had. That's way bigger than what I could have ever imagined. So, uh, yeah, coming from, from Great Yarmouth, I just wanted to do well. I was in trouble with the police. I was going one way. I was expected to be dead by the age of 30 or locked up in prison. Um, when I got to Brighton, put my head down, got stuck in the gym, the little dream I had. I had to make a goal and chase it. And my real thing in boxing was to do something. So I never met my father. So I was brought up with a, my sisters and brothers father so he's a very dear man he's still alive now he's 90 years old he's an incredible man and he's who i consider my father but at the time i wanted to meet my yeah, blood like father you know? yeah. so i thought if i do well in boxing he'll get in contact and mm. that's exactly what happened um when i was on the verge of winning the abas he then got in contact when i met him i was intrigued to meet him but when i met him you know i didn't fully understand i was i was annoyed i was 23 24 years old at that time you don't need a father you need a father as a kid he missed the most important part of my life and that was when i was in trouble and going one way so if i wouldn't have done boxing i would have definitely been in prison but I, anyway i met him nice man lovely man i think i see him once more in my life then that was it so there's the old adage in boxing is that you know there's boxing and there's heavyweight boxing were you aware at that point the value of a good heavy, a British heavyweight at that time? Did, did you realise that it was a bit of a different game that you were playing? I kind of took one fight at a time. Mm. I turned professional and said to myself, I'll give it one year. And did you? One year, if I look back and I'm still doing well, then I'll stay in the game. It was a, you know, it's, it's a brutal game. When I was in the amateurs, one of my great friends got brain damaged. So I used to push him out in a wheelchair when he had a double brain hemorrhage. So As an amateur? Yeah, as an amateur. Wow. What he did for me was make me understand how dangerous this game is. And if I'm going to do it, then I've got to make sure that I'm the one who's causing the damage and not receiving it, mm. you know? So, but the thing for me was just boxing. I just wanted the box. That was it. What was the transition like between amateur and pro at that time? The professional game and the amateur code, we know they're different now. Must have been Yeah, with the code then, I think different. they were all upright boxers then. I put my head down, never fight. They were the upright ones that, yeah. that were taught to box on the toes and off the thing. So I, that didn't really suit me. I think they were the England squad then. We were training kind of nine, ten times a day. It was crazy. And after three days, every, <laughs> everybody was broken. And yeah, it was brutal. Yeah, the training. For me, the pro game was easier than the amateur game. As in every fight you had as an amateur, you get, you're getting buzzed and it's like 50-50 yeah. fights mm. in it all the way. Whereas in the pros, at the start of the pros, you can kind of move around more and you don't you know I just yeah you got a little more time to think as well yeah so you end up becoming a, a sort of you should become a different sort of fighter you haven't yeah. got to crash it all out in three four rounds where you've got time to set stuff up haven't you yeah mm. absolutely yeah and then success came for you as a professional as well you kept kept winning kept climbing climbing the ladder how did you handle that because you said you were pragmatic about it and taking it a fight in a year at a time when it started getting better and getting 
serious. I, I mean, again, in my third professional fight, I got a headbutt. The cut. Yeah, 14 stitches mm. over, my, over my iron on the way back. I was told, your career's over. It's done. I think Roddy was my trainer at the time for the first couple of fights. And on the way home, he picked me up. When we fought in Doncaster on the Tuesday. Low thingy show. And uh, was winning the fight. Little short guy. Headbutted me. He split my eye. And then I come back to the corner and he said, look, it's a bad cut. You need to knock him out this round. So I went out for the knockout and he headbutted me again. That split up. And no blood had come out. And then all of a sudden I got, got hit with a shot and the blood just poured out. So then it just covered my whole face. They stopped the fight. I was, I was winning the fight comfortable. And then Ronnie said, oh, you know, you need to get another job. That's a bad cut. You'll never fight. That, that, that'll give you problems all the way through your career. And I think the next morning... We got back about 2, 2.30 in the morning. I think the next morning I was in the gym. Nine, I think I was in there about 9 or 10 o'clock, unloading everything with 14 stitches in my eye. Ronnie come walking in, I think we're senior, and he said, uh, what are you doing? I said, I'm training. He went, why are you training? I told you, you your career's over. I said, I'm training because uh, I needed to get rid of a load of energy and hatred and everything which which had built up inside me which I hadn't got out in the fight so um, that was it I think I then didn't take no notice of him went back to Romford I think I won my next nine by KO um, never had a problem with the eye again shows you like just how ruthless boxing mm. can be and how boxing maybe it, it's less ruthless now in that respect because no one gets a really bad cut and you get told like your, your career's over yeah. you usually got to have like a fractured eye socket or something like that yeah. where you've got to think twice Sure, Ronnie's going on experience there where you get a really bad cut exactly, and that yeah. might be your days of numbers. I think like, in, the, so. in the 80s, so I was in the 90s, so we were getting, we understood it. I think in the 50s, 60s, 70s and probably 80s, they'd put Arnica on these cuts. You, you know, I don't know whether you've had a bad cut, but you get like a caloid worm under your skin and mm. then you have to put rub that out and if you don't rub that calide worm out every time you get hit again it'll split it's like scar tissue yeah scar tissue yeah yeah Yeah. once you get rid of that it goes soft and then it's you know never had a problem with it so so you bounced back with nine KOs in a row yeah so you must have been feeling invincible at that point you might like yeah I was was going over to America I was training in New York in Gleason's gym which was kind of the place to be at the time who was there at the time can you remember loads of champions Um, I mean they'd all trained there Riddick Bowe Tyson Sab Judah was in there when I was there. Um, yeah, there was loads of old champs there as well. So mm. wherever you, it was just amazing just to sit there and breathe the same air. And uh, I remember walking up the stairs when I first went in there thinking, wow, this is incredible. You know, it was a very scary. You was going to say, know. was it intimidating? It was. It was a very, uh, for me, a white kid, it was a very black gym. So we, we were li- literally me. One other kid was white in the gym at the time. Back in them days, I was on my own. I'd gone over there. Barry had sorted it out. One of the guys who's still involved in boxing now picked me up and um, drove me through Harlem and uh, went to his house. And then we went to the gym. Fantastic. I remember walking up the stairs first time, just breathing the air, going, wow, this is incredible. So I went out there for 10 years. In 94, I boxed on the undercard of Lennox in uh, Atlantic City. So I went out there for four or five weeks. Again, I was sparring a big heavyweight called Funjo Banjo, former British champion. I just lined him up for a beautiful left hook and I said to myself, right, I'm knocking him out with this left hook. And then he caught me with a right hand, beat me to the punch and gave me nine stitches. Just before I was, I was due to fly out, that was the Sunday, I think Saturday or the Sunday I was sparring. Then on the Monday, I flew out to New York to fight Ayobola the first time so mm. talk to us about the, the Ayobola fights yeah the first one obviously James was known he was a puncher um, he was a monster six foot nine mm. but he come to fight every time so he didn't he didn't really box did he I think he got beaten I think Lennox beat him in the Commonwealth Games in Scotland yeah. back in 86 or something so I was told I was on that fight I was given about four well just before I went to America I think they told me a couple of days before I went to America who I was fighting went out there prepped and when I fought him he snapped my jaw in the first round with a right hand and uh, come back I didn't know it was broken at the time but I knew he'd damaged it come back to the corner and I couldn't tell the cornerman and he was pulling my gun <laughs> you had that didn't you get shooting off mm. yeah 
And I thought, right, I've got to switch. So I tried to fight him in the first round. And then I then switched the boxing, which made it a lot easier. So mm. I then won, I think I won the next three, four rounds. And then at the end of the fourth round, it's my first time in a 12 round fight. I couldn't physically get through five rounds of sparring. So all my sparring in New York, I'd only ever done five rounds because I, I was just chucking such big bombs all the time. So anyway, dropped him at the end of the third, I think. And then the trainer said to me, um, whatever you do, don't go and knock him out in the next round. Box him and he'll fall apart. Well, nobody falls apart in a fight, do they? You no. have to break him. So anyway, I'd never been in a 12-round fight. I listened and I was throwing a jab at him. And I remember him standing there, six foot nine, standing there holding the, the guard up. And I'm thinking, should I go for it? And then I got through the fourth. And then I think in the fifth round after after the fight, when you look back, I saw his corner slapping him going, you you know, you got one more round in my corner. He was saying, right, stay calm. He's going to fall apart. So I then come out in the fifth round, the same kind of calm. And he come out firing and then he threw. I see the right hand coming, saw the right hand coming, put the hand up and it went round the hand, landed on the jaw. I think through seeing the, the video a few, probably a few hundred times afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he caught me on the jaw, put me over. I kind of closed my eyes and he dropped a big right hand on the temple, put me over. And I think when I got up, the uh, Tweety birds were flying around me and mm. I, was, uh, I wasn't there. So luckily it got stopped. For me, when I look back at my career, that was what made me a champion, getting knocked out. Because I believe that if I would never have got knocked out, I would never have reached where I reached. You know, it's not for everybody because obviously some people can come back from a knockout, some people can't. But for me, it was a, a special thing in my career when I look back that I then become to become a champion off the back know, of the, the come, off coming the back, back of the that. knockout mm. it was it, it was a horrendous experience most of our listeners aren't boxers but they would have adversity you know people come back from things how what were the steps because at that point well, you getting, must have felt like you you're knocked, invincible well getting knocked out is it's embarrassing you you get a feel of embarrassment you get a feel of not worthy you question your chin can i take a shot will i ever be the same again you know all these questions you've got to find the answers to but i always trained hard what i considered hard only when i started training again did i understand what hard was so i went to new every time i hit the bag his face was on the bag so i wanted revenge i believe that i was winning the fight which i was i wasn't beaten by a better man i was beaten because I didn't do what I should have done. I should have had a defense. I then went to the gym. I got most of the people in my gym chucking massive shots at me. Constant keep my hands up, or I believed I kept my hands up so much better. In the return, I was running harder than I'd ever ran. I had a 30 stone Big John guy coming in, helping me with strength. I was getting hold of him, wrestling with him. So I'd done everything to come back and there was no way I had no I'd never had one inkling in my head that told me I couldn't win and he come back he was, he was more confident he trained with Amanda Holyfield for the next fight and uh, I think at the time we were we were big enemies at the time because it obviously he'd beaten me and we become very dear friends afterwards so um, I got my revenge on the 27th of January, uh, October yeah 95 Was you still with um, Matchroom or Barry Hearn at that point? No I'd switched so so in the build up the return, I, f I felt I had a couple of fights. So I won one in about 60 seconds against a guy I hadn't been stopped before. And then the next one, I think I went the distance with Michael Murray. And after that, I realized I wasn't in the shape I wanted to be for the return. And I think they were matching with saying, got to fight the guy who you fought before. He was a six foot six guy, Steve Garber. I said, I've already beaten him. I don't need to fight him again. I think Herbie had just had a 10 rounder with somebody and gone 10 rounds. And I asked for that opponent. And then they were like, you don't need him, Scott, because, you, you know, we want to look good on the TV. They didn't change the opponent. I realized that maybe... I need to change because I'm the one who's getting in there. I'm the one who's got to fight and I know what I feel is right and that I didn't feel it was right. So um, I switched over to, to Warren. Can you put into words the feelings when you got that revenge? You put yourself in such a, or I, I put myself in such a mental thing. I remember after the fight, everybody was asking me to smile and I couldn't smile. Could not smile in the ring. I've got the... Union Jack, I've got it. I've got the picture in my gym. I, I put my teeth together and just grit because <laughs> I can't smile. So they're saying, "Smile, Scott, smile." You've just won the British title. Now. But my mind was in such a place to win and get revenge, and 
I don't think there's a picture of me smiling at the end. I'm just I'm like holding my teeth like that. That's you not being able to. You're still I in. I don't that, know. Yeah. He's there. You're still, still in, that in fight the cage. Mode. Yeah. yeah. The guy who got the brain damage was there in watching me as well. So he was in the ring. He was he was at the fight as well. So it was in my hometown. So I think I just put myself in a mindset where I have to win. And then outside the ring. So beyond that, fast forward a bit. So. Firstly, we got we got to ask you. You were Mike Tyson's bodyguard. Yeah, that was after. Yeah, yeah, yeah not at the same time. So talk yeah. us through that. Obviously, boxing and career that finished. Yeah, that, boxing that career it was so over. How do you become Mike Tyson's bodyguard? Because he's the baddest man on the planet. You got to be a bit badder. Yeah, to be his bodyguard. <laughs> well, I fought on his undercard on in uh, in '97. So yeah. that, that was an amazing thing on the Tyson Holyfield. Of course. Yeah, we got against so, Daniel Eduardo Nito. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel Nito. I think they told me three days before who I was fighting. Didn't have a clue who he was. You know, he's for the taking I, I think I ran into him ran across the ring smashed that into him thought I was going to get an early knockout he took everything I threw slip and slide and then come back caught me in the teeth I think he loosened all my front teeth that's why I can't smile I thought they'd snapped <laughs> off, I thought they'd snapped off in the oh. in the gum shield and when I when I sat in the corner I took the gum shield out I was looking in to see if my teeth was in there <laughs> Yeah, he gave me a tough, tough, tough little fight. Got the win. So obviously, I met Mike then. Yeah, so you chatted to Mike at that on point? The, on the, yeah, on, in my eyes, I knew him. Obviously, he met a thousand, <laughs> ten thousand of me a day, you know, guys who box and everything. And uh, didn't think he'd know me, but I thought that we had, you know, we'd, because, because we'd met, he would know me. So anyway, I remember the first, so, so the guy said to me, we're bringing Mike over as you know him, because obviously he, at the time he was a complete lunatic yeah. and, and nobody would dare say anything to him. I think the last he, last time he was in the UK was a Warren thing when he... Yeah. So was he on a visit or was he boxing? Uh, no, he just retired. He just, oh, just literally retired. Yeah. retired. Okay. That was the first, that was the first tour. First trip. Absolutely incredible. And uh, Joe Egan, a good friend of mine, he was uh, the main reason why he was coming over see Joe do a tour and Joe said to me you know Scott we want you to look after him blah 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 you've got a relationship with him yeah I said yeah yeah no problem <laughs> the first yeah. day I remember I went up in the lift they said we he was standing in the Hilton on Park Lane they said go go get him he's in his room go tell him we're downstairs we want to have a little meet anyway I remember walking up on my own went up in the lift knocked on the door didn't come to the door knocked on the door again didn't come to the door all of a sudden he opens up the door gives me a look like he's going to kill me. The hairs on the back of my neck just shoot up straight away thinking, Jesus, he's... Anyway, and I said, Mike, they're waiting for you downstairs. And he, he wouldn't look at you directly. He looks at you from the side of his eyes. So he's like a pit bull. He didn't say a word anyway. I walked in there waiting for him to get his gear and he's just walking around. He's looking looking at me like he's going to kill me. He finally come out. I think I said to him twice, like, Mike, they're, they're waiting down there. So he opened up the door and then just carried on doing what he was doing in the room. Anyway, I then got in the lift with him and uh, he hadn't said one word. I introduced myself and I, I said I boxed on the undercard. Not one word. Got in the lift with him and literally he's just started pacing in the lift, walking past me side to side. I thought, oh, he's going, oh this is going to be a fight. So I'm, back, I'm backed up against the wall, tense, just thinking he's going to just unload. Anyway, doors opened. We both walked out. He put his arms around me and just said, hey, Scotty, you know, and, and lit light from, from there. But he'd, it was like an initiation that he'd put me through. I still remember it to this day. It was, it was you know, <laughs> I was out. like, what the hell yeah. is going on here? You know. Was that job for, for, for that whole trip? Yeah, yeah, we did. I think we, did, we did a few weeks and then did again. And then I think on the third one, he said, look, I want you as my pal, come round with us. And, you know, he come down to Brighton, see me in Brighton, Shoreham, done a little show there with him and uh, went over to his house, took took my son, Tom, went to his house in Vegas and, yeah, great, incredible man, mm. incredible man. We met Mike Tyson oh, on, a, yeah. on a London, well, a London v USA trip. Finchley Amateur Boxing Club would go, Dale Youth would yeah, go, I remember, and a couple yeah, of yeah. others. Yeah. We used to train at the Richard Steele gym and he goes, we've got a treat today, guys, because they love a parade out yeah. there or something, you know. Yeah, so we're going to get the yeah. mayor in like I don't care Richard great and, then, and and Mike's coming who? Mike Tyson wow okay <laughs> right we're all going to be there we're going to be sharp and um, I can't remember exactly who he was fighting or what was around but it's about 2002 the image he portrayed was he's crazy <laughs> he yeah, was crazy yeah. and I don't know who it was his security guard who brought him in and he just sat on stage and then we was all just trying to get a picture of him before he left and like before iPhone so it's like everyone's trying to wind up their Kodak <laughs> camera 
yeah. get a snap. When I first saw it, see him in Vegas, first time at Gold's Gym, I remember thinking he's going to be about six foot wide. Yeah. Mm. The shoulder's going to be mad. And you see him in the flesh and like physically, he's not massive. But everything about him is like he's got a, a heavyweight head. Mm. The hands, are, the feet, I think he's got size 15 feet. Yeah, his feet are enormous. <laughs> he's got size 15 feet for a five foot. I think, well, he's down as 5'11", but I yeah. think he's near a 5'9". Yeah. So he's um he's got size 15 feet. He's got massive calves and he's deep chested so he's really kind of thick mm. from the width wise from the side on a big heavyweight in a condensed body incredible mm. incredible physique so you went from mike tyson's bodyguard and then you're the only british heavyweight i think to have fought brad pitt well talk us through yeah. that one <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure everyone who's listened to this has watched snatch if you haven't go and watch it but you might be surprised you're in it one Punch Mickey. Yeah, I got a call. I got a call. I think I just retired 99. I've been retired a few months and I got a phone call asking if I wanted to convert a chicken shop in Wandsworth to a uh, 120 cover restaurant. We were talking just lumps of money and my pal who I was working with at the time, I, I was I was renovating one of my properties in, in Brighton. He got the call. It was his job. And then he said to me, do you want to get involved? And I said, how much is it? And it was about 80 grand. And it was a cash job. And it was this, you know, and it was like, oh, well, that's pretty good, decent. You know, 80 grand back then, 99 mm. was probably about just under a million quid or something, 800 grand, something like that. So I was like, yeah, let's go have a look. Jumped in the motor, drove up there, got the job. Anyway, started doing the work and then I got a call literally about three weeks into the work if there's an audition around the corner in Lambeth. Do you want to come along? I think I had a, had a thousand CC Ducati at the time. So I ran around on that boiling hot summer, sat there waiting for nobody knew anybody was in the, didn't know Brad was in the film or anybody. They said, oh, Guy Ritchie was the director. Nobody had heard of director yeah, yeah. Guy Ritchie at that time. I think he'd done Lockstock. He'd done Lockstock, yeah. Yeah, but he wasn't a name and he wasn't with Madonna at the time. I mm. think it broke on the set. So she took me up to a room, put me in a room. They said she's going to go off and get the director. So the door opened and a young, cool-looking kid walked in. Or well, I thought he was young. He was the same age as me. <laughs> we were both 31 at the time. Uh, he looked a bit younger, I think. And I was sweating. Flashbacks of Mike I was, Tyson. Yeah. I, was wait, I was waiting to be offered a drink. Yeah, yeah. He never offered me any drink. And I'm sitting there thinking, why isn't he offered me a drink? I thought he was like a runner on the set. And I thought, oh, he'll offer me a drink in a minute. Anyway, he was staring at me. And I had a camera. They'd set up a big camera, the big cameras back in the day. So I had this camera on me sitting there. And I wasn't comfortable. And then I thought, this guy's looking at me. He's wrong. I was just about to turn around and give him a piece of my mind. And as I turned around, I think I gave him a look. and the door opened and she went oh you've met Guy Ritchie then and I went oh Jesus <laughs> like that and just as I give him the look he saw what, he wanted. what was going on and then he said to me I said oh mate I'm really sorry like that and he went love the look and I said what and didn't <laughs> understand what was going on apparently that sealed it for me so yeah from there then what was the genesis of the film how, how so then I got asked to, yeah so again didn't know anything I then got asked to go to the Budokwai in Fulham Road just off Fulham Road they said uh, Brad Pitt's going to be there for a bit of film and I went oh great but the film the, that meant nothing to me the films and everything but what you know, I said, they said, oh, people react differently when, when they say Brad's going to be there. I said, listen, if you told me Mike Tyson was going to be there, <laughs> I'd be excited. But, um, you know, anyway, I turned up first day and I think Adam Fogarty, who played Gorgeous George, mm -hmm. he was there. I knew Adam and, and he was doing a little scene there and Brad kept running away because he was so big. I mean, at the time, I think it was about 21, 22 stone yeah. <laughs> and six four big lad and he was throwing these shots and they introduced us and then went Scott can you show him what to do and I said yeah no problem throw a shot at me Adam as he threw the shot I went under it come back with a cutler <laughs> shots pulled obviously pulled them and they, they loved it and they went oh great you know brilliant that's what we want to see you know and then I showed Brad how to do it we went from there so I trained I think we trained for about eight weeks together he was staying at Sting's pet up in Highgate so you choreographed the boxing scenes as yeah, well yeah so choreographed yeah well they they said to me that I've got to go down and I said I'm not I'm not, I'm <laughs> not, not, go, I'm not going down to 11 stone no Scott you've got to go down it's a film I said it's a film <laughs> nah I don't care I'm not, <laughs> you know, my ego was, wasn't having that anyway so I said look let me choreograph this fight scene and then I can make it he said can you make it look good I said yeah of course I can obviously I couldn't after a few weeks of or after about two and a half weeks or something I 
rang Kai up and said, look, Kai, I need more money. He's like, what do you want more money for? I said, because I'm going to go down. So uh, It's like doing a nude scene. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then he agreed and then we changed and it. down you it. went. Then yeah. I had to go down. Make so. sure you go down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So eight eight week job was it? We trained for eight weeks. How long was the filming? And then the filming, I think my filming was five days. Yeah, because yeah. it's always stunning how long it takes. It was four days. And then I, went, I think I went back for a day for the when he went up in the air and landed in the water. In the water, yeah. yeah so how many times did it take of you going down? How many times did One Punch Mickey put you over? It was the one where I hit the deck. I did that in one on my life. <laughs> but yeah, I, almost, I, I almost knocked myself out doing it because I didn't put my hands out and I just went straight down yeah. and I've hit the floor and they all come running over like, ah, oh, gee, and I remember thinking, fucking hell, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That you do, it goes down hard, um, Yeah. I must have been proud when it came out and obviously it became colossal. How was uh, that? Yeah, no, it was, I mean, again, I think the first time I went to see it, you're so intent on looking at the how it all comes together I didn't really understand it second time I see it then I understood it you know then I laughed and everything but the first time I think you're just looking at it not really yeah, taking oh, on board I've got to go down here did that open the door for more acting did you get a, a taste for it it did I mean it did at the time I'd been away from home for seven years as a pro come back was going to be a father to the kids and then it kind of took off after that as well. I was going for quite a few auditions. I mean, I knew, used to go to school with Jason Statham as well. Mm. So I knew JC put me onto an agent in London and then I used the agent and I was getting quite a few bits, but then it was, it was all getting a bit crazy. And then uh, I was being taken away again. I think one day me and the missus had a conversation and understood that my marriage wasn't going to last if I uh, keep doing what I'm doing. So then I had to make the choice and go home and be a father. That was it. Yeah, I pulled out in about 2000, somewhere around there, 2001. So I've, I've done a few bits since. You had to jump at the right time. And if that was what you were going to do, you you would have had to follow that career then. You know, I'd had my career and my career was boxing. So mm. I was happy with that. And for the next 10, 15 years, I was concentrating on, on the amateurs and the different bits and pieces, business and stuff around there, yeah. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So, Scott, each week we have a quiz feature. Have we got a quiz name? Have we got a feature name this week, Dak? We try and do a pun on the guest name, and I wanted to go for Welch Rarebit. Yeah. There's, there's literally no connection between Rare that name yeah. and this quiz. Zero. Did you know what that? What else do we have? Well, Welching is very like <laughs> avoiding. Yeah. Have you heard that before? Yeah, when, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I so you avoid be, Yeah, it could, could be, be welched, Snog yeah. Mary Welch. Welch. Snog Mary yeah. Avoid. Or Scott Free. We might think of a really good yeah. one and put it in later. <laughs> but until now, cue non existent jingle. Some are real, some are not. Right, some are fictional. I'm going to give you the names of 
fighters and you need to tell me whether it's a fictional movie character oh nice or is it a real life fighter what was your what was remind, remind the, the listeners what was your name in, in Snatch Horace Goodnight Anderson yes Horace Goodnight Anderson what a name well the first question is One Punch Mickey O'Neill <laughs> is that a real person or is that a fictional character well it sounds like it, it could be real yeah. I'm not sure <laughs> That's uh, Brad Anderson. Pitt's character. Brad Pitt's character. Snatch, oh, is yeah. it Anderson? He, yeah. That hard did he? Yeah. Right. Well, what was it? What's it? O'Neill. One, one bitch. Oh, yeah, O'Neill. That was uh, that was Brad Pitt's name. Do you like that? Oh, I never. Oh, it's one nil down. I don't yeah. think you get him. There. I never heard O'Neill. Another fighter's name. Okay, here we go. Tell me if he's a real life person or a fictional character. Spider Rico. It sounds like it's probably real, but I would say no. You're right. It's not. It's uh, it's the first guy Rocky fights. Of course. To Pedro Lovell. Spider Rico, not Craig Spider Richards. No. No. Someone else. Who's right. Next? Number three. Real life fighter or fictional character? Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Real. Yes, of course. Former WBA lightweight yeah. champion. Maggie Fitzgerald. Sounds like I know her. Hmm. <laughs> ah, fictional. Yeah, it is the million dollar baby. Yeah. Hillary Swank, right? Pernell Sweet Pea Witter. Uh, real. Yes, three <laughs> weight world champion, right? Yeah. Demarcus Chop Chop Corley. Yeah, real. Yeah. I told you he'd piss this. Former world weight world champion, right? Billy the Great Hope. Billy the Bomb from London. That might have been him. I don't know. He it was wasn't a, him, no, because no, his was name was the Great. And yeah, his no, name's no. Billy Hope. And his name alias was the Great. So Billy, Billy the Billy Great Hope. Hope from Attleborough ABC. Yeah, or was he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds a bit ominous. Uh, I would say they would probably call him that. So yeah, probably real. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Southpaw with Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh yes, oh, right. of course. Merciless Mary McGee. Can't be surely. You're not having that, no. I'm sorry. That is that's, <laughs> that's the former shit. IBF lightweight weight champion. Jesus. Merciless Mary. Fast Eddie Chambers. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's real. real. Yeah, before my heavyweight world title challenger. Yeah. And the last one, pretty Ricky Conlon. Well, you got Conlon's, isn't you now? But it's, it's obviously not nothing to do with him. Uh, probably pretty Ricky Conlon. <laughs> It's got to be fictional, surely. It is, yes. Yeah. He's and from who Creed, was, but it's a bit of a yeah. swerve one. Yeah, played by Tony Bellew. Lovely. Uh, Former yeah. real life. Well, I reckon that's. I reckon he's done better than half there. Yes. What a performance. Now, Deck, as a former fighter, you can imagine I still like to keep an eye on the fight game. I can imagine, mate. So do I, George. There's fights all across the world these days. Sometimes you just can't find anywhere to watch them. If only there was a solution that meant we had access to the biggest and best fights whenever we wanted to watch them. Well, Deck, there just might be. Ooh. With NordVPN, you can switch your virtual location to a country showing, like you said, the biggest and best sporting events around the world. Not only that, but you can stream your favourite TV shows at the drop of a hat too. Surely to watch the best live sporting events and my favourite TV shows, that's going to cost me a fortune. Well, NordVPN actually helps save some money. Does it? Not to mention your protection against cybercrime. You change your virtual location, sign up for a subscription service via other countries and pay a cheaper rate just for the price of one small coffee a month. But what about if I want to throw in the towel at any time? It's not a problem, Nick, right? Because NordVPN provides you with a risk-free... Risk-free? Risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. That's my kind of guarantee. Yes, check out the link, nordvpn.com forward slash ggbc and get your subscription started today. Use that link and you'll receive huge discounts off NordVPN plan plus a bonus gift. Okay, that sounds like an unmissable deal, George, but I know you... I've you know, stitch me up in the past. Am I safe here? Because that could be the real knockout blow. <laughs> NordVPN is a one-stop shop for all things cybersecurity deck. It is incredibly easy to use, right? Otherwise, obviously, I couldn't use it. And with just one click, you're protected. You don't have to be a tech whiz. And with your NordVPN account, you can have up to six devices protected. I haven't got six devices, but if I did, I'd be buzzing. By I that. mean, that's a Ronald Winky right yes. guard there. Yeah, that really Nothing's is. Nothing's getting through. So let me get this right. With NordVPN, I can watch live sporting events, the best in film and TV from countries around the world, all for the price of a measly little coffee a month, as well as being protected from hackers, malicious sites and pop-ups, which I hate. That is right. Nothing below the belt. Just make sure you use the link, nordvpn.com forward slash GGBC for that huge NordVPN plan discount plus a bonus gift. 
talk about Saved by the Bell. You'll never have to miss anything ever again with NordVPN. So, Scott, tell us about you're involved in WBC Cares. We're doing a lot of programs at the moment for kids. We, every week we do probably over 100 kids. So in various places around the South Coast, we were involved in London, Croydon. Again, another little story, the, the policeman that was shot in the uh, custody suite. I met him through a guy I met on an aeroplane coming back from the U-Bank, one of the U-Bank fights in in Turkey when he fought... Uh, Abney Eldrin. Yeah. Oh. I met uh, two lads who were coming back from uh, having a few drinks out there. Anyway, got talking to them. Said I was involved in the cares with a bit of knife crime stuff and they said, oh, we're knife crime unit in Croydon. We'd love to take you out and show you where these kids have been knifed and all the different areas. So got involved in that and then met the sergeant who was the guy who got shot. He basically took us around. Fantastic guy. And then helped us get set up in Croydon in a gym there. We uh, paid to get bags and everything in the gym and um, bought some stuff down and was there for about 18 months on a, on a Wednesday working with the, with the youths. We then got the gym in Legacy Youth in Croydon. And then obviously lockdown come. We were in quite a few different places, but we were probably stretching ourselves too much. We were in too many and uh, we brought it back during lockdown. We had a program running in our gym, Albanian program, working with a group of Albanians. The police turned up there to close us down and didn't realise that the commissioner had given us the uh, you know, the go-ahead to stay open through lockdown. So um, trying to keep the kids on the straight and narrow, really. Are you in the club so, still in Brighton, your club? You're still in there? And yeah, absolutely. With the amateurs and the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I work with these... Yeah, I work with people most days. We've got 300 members in there now, so... So when I started, I think we had 15. So, wow. Is that um, about as busy as it's ever been? Yeah, I'd say Participation it is. Yeah, I'd say it is. Yeah, we run a lot of different classes. It's got some great people. It's a community now. We're just extending out the back again now. So great place. I mean, it's, a, it's one of them places when you don't go there, you miss it. And your son, Tommy, he's still a professional. He's still boxing. He passed the baton yeah, on. Yeah. The, he inherited that one. boxing gene, that it, boxing. Yeah, he's on the conveyor belt, the world's yeah, conveyor belt. He's 8-0. He's um, yeah, I mean, he's... Uh, Another heavyweight. Yeah, he's a heavyweight. He's about an inch bigger than me. Taller than me. He's lean at How the moment. How did you cope he's, with that? <laughs> um, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. He was good at rugby and boxing. And at the time, it was... Either do one or another. I think the rugby, he was getting injured, a fractured cheekbone. One time he come back and he nearly had his shoulder ripped out. We had to make a decision. He got his finger broke. We had to make a decision on rugby or boxing. And then he chose boxing when he was about 13. I remember as an amateur, he was, he'd be on shows and stuff just knocking everyone out. Yeah, he had, a, he had a good run. He, yeah. he um, won the junior ABAs mm. in 2013. And then we were all set to go to the Europeans in the Worlds. And they hadn't registered with AIBA, England. So Ireland, Scotland and Wales went and England didn't. He kind of walked away from it then. Walked away for a few years, then come back. Wouldn't really put himself in knuckle down for the training, but wanted to fight. So he kept having, getting in the ring and was winning. Was winning, got to the quarterfinals of the ABAs without too much training for the quarters of the ABAs. Thought we had a nice little short guy turned up. The guy was 6'5", standing in the corner. We were like, oh shit, here we go. <laughs> but again, because he hadn't done the training, he saved it so he didn't get caught with a shot in the first two rounds and then he went all out in the last round absolutely blitzed the guy cut him over both eyes bashed him senseless but because he hadn't done the work in the first two he didn't get the decision mm. so and then like the old days I don't know how it was for you George in the ABAs but in my day if the guy was injured or had an injury we would go back in but obviously when Tom did it he couldn't go go back in so the guy couldn't fight on to the next round and then the guy pulled out so they, they missed the fight the next fight, I think. And he's pro now, so he's 8 0. Yeah, pro 8 0. Joker mask as well. Yeah, which is yeah. Great. I love just that. Get, we're just getting him back in. Um, had a, a break. He broke his uh, metacarpal on his right hand early on January. Had two fights in. The first fight we come back, he broke another bone at the bottom of it, catching the elbow. The first right hand he threw. And then I think the last fight, he had a little bit of PTSD from the break. So he didn't go crazy on that. We got a good win against a good, tough Mexican. And now he's ready to go again. So, mm. so we got to get one last bit. So we need a ring walk tune. So every, every guest we ask for a song and it could be what you walk out to. Yeah. Might be another song that resonates with you. But the idea is needs to be 
something that means means something to you in the air tonight oh nice that's why he used to come out yes because we had John Ryder and he's come out to that before but he didn't pick that for his song so there's a gaping hole where that song needs to go in the playlist yeah great pick that was my when I was at my best I believe that was okay here's a a question though would you do you listen to it now and if so how does it make you feel I start shadow boxing yeah yeah. you know hear them bells go off (laughs) yeah Pretty nah, quite a long shadow no, boxing as do, well before the drop. Yeah, no, you do. Um, again, my my highlight of my career was was the Ayabola win for me. So that was the one that I come out to for that fight, and I think it had the extended twelve inch version. We come out just before the drum. Yeah. So yeah. Scott, thanks so much for coming on thanks the show, mate. Join the club. Be careful in that helicopter. I'll try. Yeah. yeah. Maybe be careful a... in the lift with Tyson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe have a club outing in the helicopter. Although you've got that thing in Brighton, isn't it? You might crash into the thing yeah, on the seafront. Uh, 360, the yeah. 360, yeah. If you land in the water, just make sure you come back to life. <laughs> yeah. Right. Amazing. Nice one, thanks, guys. Scott. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. How about that then, Deck? How about Scott Welch? How long, George, do you think you could last in a lift with Mike Tyson? Maybe, maybe not as long as I could last flying a helicopter. (laughs) I want to be able to choreograph a fight scene. I think you probably could, mate. I mean, you've done enough of it in your time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I want to do it. I think we should do I think we should choreograph a fight scene for the club. And just we'll another get, one we on the get TV. involved, couldn't we? Yeah. We could choreograph Jonathan Woodward against Andy McLean. <laughs> <laughs> if you make the cut and you're in that fight scene, you're an elite club member, aren't you? Well, not quite yet. There's one more thing they've got oh, to do. What's that then? They've got to hit the follow button oh, in their podcast app. Of course, app. you've got to follow it, baby. Yes. Yeah. And while you're on your smartphone, you might as well just swipe up to your Instagram and Twitter and your TikTok, which you're always on anyway. Follow us on GG Boxing Club. Suggestions for future guests, whatever it may be let us know we love to hear it we will take it on board and we will try and make the club members desires come true and the real beauty of the twitter page not only are you going to get all our tweets there's a link tree there love the link tree i love a link tree you get merch on there you get the ring walk playlist and on the merch one hoodies are back the prints are flying off the shelves the bottles are rolling down the hill if you want to listen to us ad free what a treat that would be you can do on Amazon Music. And this is our final week in this uh, on this godforsaken land. Why? Because next week, got a mariachi band or something, we got like a jingle here. It's Dexico. It's starting <laughs> next week. <laughs> it's starting next week. So Canelo is taking on the truly elite club member, John Ryder. And nobody has come on this show and lost their next fight. Next week is a big week, therefore. In between sipping margaritas and eating tacos, Monday, we've got Canelo and Ryder preview. Then what we got on Wednesday, George? To keep it topical. Yep. We've got the promoter of the show. The guy who said he wasn't ducking us, stuck to his words, is Eddie, the hitman herd. What a Wednesday that'll be. And then Friday, we're going to do another pod and that'll be a final preview. And then we're going to go out there with my little recording device. I'm going to be getting, trying to get hold of whoever I can who's on the ground. So big week next week. Scott Welsh is in the club next week. Canelo Ryder. Love it. Cheers, Dave. See you then.